Last week, we did, uh, we, we talked about Isaiah chapter 13 and 14 all the way through verse 23. And I told you last week that I had asked God if I could skip over verses chapters 13 all the way through 23, and God said no. <laughs> and I even prayed again this week, and God said no. So, uh, there are things that you're going to hear about that I don't want to preach about, but that's okay. It's what God is telling me to preach on. I was already looking at it. Um, I'll give you a little, for instance, no, I won't, never mind. Um, but today's sermon, as I was preparing for it, I came across an absolutely wonderful, wonderful uh, tool for understanding the history that we're reading about. And so if I can ask for some volunteers to come on up and take these and pass these out, I've got 20 copies prepared. Hopefully there's enough for everybody. If not, let me know and we can print more. And for those of you who are listening to this sermon online, I will have the notes to where to find this resource in the notes section. I cannot print it or put it online because I'm prohibited by copyright. But I can at least make sure that you can find it online because you're allowed to download it yourself. I just can't post it up on my own. All right. So this is called the Isaiah Timeline. And I wanted to share it with you. Because part of what we're going to be looking at today is, con- is contained in this timeline. And what had happened was, I've studied this for the last number of weeks, and I got back to this thing, and I was like, oh man, which king, and what, and when did that happen, and when was this? And I found this timeline, and it is so user-friendly and so easy to, want to look at. So I wanted to just walk us through this timeline quickly. And then get on to these verses that we're going to be looking at. So, in the very big part, top part of this timeline, you'll see an orange block that says creation and fall. And to the right of that, it says start of Old Testament period. So this is the beginning of the timeline. Then if you look down at the very bottom of the page, you'll see a red block with Jesus, a cross, and a crown. And the dotted line which is at about 6 or 5 B.C., says the start of the New Testament period. Now, this is not part of the lesson this today, but just why would the start of the New Testament period be at four or five, 6 or 5 B.C.? Instead of why wouldn't it be 0 when Jesus was born? Exactly. Historians have determined that our calendar is off by a few years. So the year zero when Jesus was born was actually four or five or six B.C. So we were off by about four or five years in calculations. So that's why that says that's the start of the New Testament period. Now, if you go down to 740 B.C., that's the gray bar that goes across pretty much the center of the page. 740 B.C. to 681 B.C. And you notice this says this is the time that Isaiah was being written. And then in the, in the red uh, box, you'll see where it says the kings. These are the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. Because remember I told you that after Solomon, the nation had a civil war and they split. And so there was the southern kingdom, also known as Judah, and the northern kingdom, also known as Israel. 
And so the king of the southern kingdom was Uzziah. And if you remember Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 it says, In the year Uzziah died, I had this vision. So this is the beginning of Isaiah's writing. And you notice that the yellow box, the northern kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom actually ends with Hosea, the king Hosea. And you'll notice it says in those, to the right of the yellow box, it says Samaria defeated, Israel deported. That's because Assyria, that first blue box, came in and attacked them and took over all of the northern kingdom, literally removing the people and bringing their own people in to settle into those villages and towns. And then, a little farther down, you see in the blue box under Assyria, you see the king Sennacherib. See that? Sennacherib. And see the red dotted line with the arrow pointing towards the red box? Sennacherib invades Judah and besieges Jerusalem during the kingship of Hezekiah. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn now in Isaiah chapter to chapter 36. Now I, I told you that we're actually in chapter 14. But for us to understand all that we need to understand, we first have to turn to Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah chapter 36, and going through all the way through chapter 37, we don't have time this morning to read it all, so let me just give you a synopsis. Okay? King Sennacherib of Assyria has come with his army into the southern kingdom of Judah, literally coming up almost like floodwaters to the walls of the city of Jerusalem, taken over almost everything. They've already taken over the northern kingdom, and they're now putting their sights on the southern kingdom. And the thing is, as we look at this, if you read through it, you're going to recognize that we've already looked at this a few weeks back. But this story plays such an integral part that it comes back into the writings of Isaiah. And so Sennacherib has invaded Judah and they have literally come up to the walls of Jerusalem and there is this confrontation that takes place and this huge, this general, um, his name is Rabshakeh, 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 begins yelling this proclamation from the king, Sennacherib, to King Hezekiah, but it's these middle guys talking to each other. Hey, you tell your king, my king is here to take over. You got a problem with that? And they, they start going, hey, hey, don't, don't talk in the common language. Don't talk in the common Everyone can understand that. Talk to us in Aramaic because we understand that and we know you understand it and the, the people don't. And the guy, the general goes, Hey, you think just because you don't want your people to hear that they're not going to be able to understand the fact that my king has come to take over your world? Listen, buddy, your God sent my king. You just need to understand that. 
And so Hezekiah receives the message from his people that Sennacherib has given this letter saying, I'm coming to take over. And uh, Hezekiah's response is it literally says in verse three, chapter 37, verse 1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. His first response when this attack comes is to go to God. Humbly go to God. Help me, God. What are we going to do, God? We need you to take care of things. And literally, through this whole process, he says, we need to, we need to seek God. And there's a man of God who has the ear of God. We, we can go to him and he'll tell us what God is saying. And so Hezekiah sends his servants to Isaiah. And in verse 6 of chapter 37, we see Isaiah responding, saying, Say to your master, King Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard, of which, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh, then the Rabshakeh, which was that general of the king Sennacherib, returned and he found the king of Syria fighting against Libna for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning blah, blah, blah and he went on and on. Let me move on. Hezekiah prays and asks God to please do what he said he would do through the word of Isaiah. And so you go to verse 21 of chapter 37. Verse 21 says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And it goes on to say basically all the things that are going to happen and how bad it is. And then finally, in verse 33, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or even shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. And by the way that he came, that is the same that he's going to return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. So God sends word through his prophet to the king. Hold fast. Stand. I am God. I don't care who this guy thinks he is. Yeah, he might be the king of the biggest nation of the world at this point. He might be the world power from the human perspective, but he don't understand who he's dealing with. I am God and I have spoken. He is not even going to shoot an arrow at you. Understand me, Isaiah? And Isaiah tells Hezekiah, understand him, Hezekiah? And Hezekiah says, yeah. And then it says, verse 38, 36, and the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people awoke early in the morning, behold, there were all these dead bodies. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria departed and returned home, and he went to his town of Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, 
his two sons came and struck him down by the sword. Hmm. Powerful God that we serve. Powerful God. Powerful story of God's deliverance. Pretty cool stuff. Let's go back now to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, which is where we left off last week. We see the heading, at least in my Bible, the heading says, An Oracle Concerning Assyria. Well, we know who Assyria is. King Sennacherib. King Sennacherib, who thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. Because he's the king over the whole nation that's greatest, the greatest power in the world at at that time. And there's this oracle from God through Isaiah to the people of Isaiah, but most specifically to the kings. And it says in verses 24 through 27, these words. The Lord of hosts has sworn. Now, well, let's read it and then we'll break it down. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out Over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? Now, let's break this down a little bit. Because see, we just read these words and they don't mean a whole lot to us. Because we live in Alaska in the 21st century. And these people lived like 7,000 million years ago. And it means nothing to me. So help me to understand why is this even important. Well, the very first thing you need to know, in verse 24 and in verse 27, the Hebrew that's translated here, the Lord of hosts, is the Hebrew, Jehovah Sabaoth. What does Sabaoth mean? Armies. It's not on the wall. It was supposed to be on the wall, so stop looking. It's not there. I was like looking all over the place. Where is it at? It's supposed to go right there under that speaker. And it will be there eventually. Jehovah Sabaoth. S-A-B-A-O-T-H. Let me say that again. S-A-B-A-O-T-H. Sabaoth. Okay? It literally means the God of all of heaven's armies. What it means figuratively and what it's supposed to say is that he is the God of all gods, the God of all resources. He has no limitations. He is God Almighty. So, here we have a prophet of God hearing a word from God and the word is God Almighty has spoken. Okay, I'm not trying to be funny. But you need to get the import here. How, how serious is this? This isn't just, God said something. This is infinite, majest- any great, huge power you can think of, multiply that by 10 million, and you still don't have enough. This is the God of all gods, the God of everything that has ever been, the only true God there ever was, saying, 
I swear by myself. This is a very serious statement. For God to say, I swear by myself because there's nothing greater I can swear by. I have a plan and it shall come to pass. I have a purpose and my purpose shall stand. I will break the Assyrians who are in my land, flaunting their strength in my face. I will trample them in my mountains, not even sending them scurrying. They're going to meet their maker right now while they're playing this little game of theirs in my land. And when that happens, O Israel, O Judah, King, whoever you are listening to these words, you need to understand, verse 25 says, that the yoke that they have put on you will leave. You will no longer be burdened by them. Verse 26, this is the purpose that is purposed, and hear this, concerning the whole earth. Now, for us, those are just words. The whole earth. Well, of course, he's God. Of course, he rules the world. He's God. But you see, when these words were written, these people didn't perceive God as over everything. They perceived gods over geographical areas. So in their mind and the way their culture worked, this God, Jehovah, was over the nation of Israel. He was their God. And Assyria had their own gods, and Babylon had their own gods, and Egypt had their own gods. But God is saying, you're not getting it. I am Jehovah Sabaoth, and my plan and my purpose is worldwide, history-wide. When I say something, it's going to happen. We saw last week in this reading where God named Cyrus. 150 years before Cyrus was born. We saw last week where God said the king of Babylon is going to fall. And we then looked at the fact that 150 plus years later, Nebuchadnezzar is crawling around like an animal eating grass and having dreadlocks. The king of the greatest power of the world is happening to, to fall at the, at the word of God. And the thing that is so cool Verse 27, this almighty, all-powerful God of all gods who is, resource, who is limitless resources has purposed. And who's going to dare annul what I've done? And he says, my hand has stretched out. And who dares can even try to turn my hand back? I'm God. Now, this is really powerful and this is really cool, but the one thing that really sticks in me, my craw as I'm chewing on this and thinking about it is why in the world did the story of Assyria come after the story of Babylon in this list of nations from chapters 13 through 23? Because Assyria was a world power before Babylon. Look at your chart. Look at the little chart that I gave you. Assyria started in 900 B.C. Babylon didn't start until 722 B.C. 
When they took over, you see in 681 to 620, it says in the blue area for Assyria, it says Assyria declines. And then in 620, Nebuchadnezzar comes to power and destroys the Assyrian Empire. So if that's the case, if the timeline is Assyria's first, then Babylon, then uh, the Persians, then the Greeks, then why in this prophecy of Isaiah, does the oracle concerning Isaiah come after the oracle concerning Babylon? It's like, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me. But as I studied this week, I learned something. Number one, this is a really hard passage for most scholars. And there's a lot of con contention and, and discussion and not a whole lot of consensus about how and what and where and why. Some people think that these four or five verses should actually just be tacked on to the end of chapter 13 through 14 and just be part of the same oracle. Some people say, no, this is a separate oracle. It needs to stand by itself. Some people say, no, it is an oracle that stands alone, but it has, continue, it has some, some inference back to the Babylonian oracle. I was like, hey, this is not helpful to me, nor is it going to be helpful to my people. And all of a sudden, and I don't know if it was just I'm that smart or that God made a light go on for me. I think it was the second one. But the reality is what I heard in my spirit as I was chewing on this was God intentionally put the oracle about Assyria after the oracle about Babylon. Why? Because the Israelites, the nation of Judah, the king that was in power at that time, was worried about Babylon. This world power has raised up and they're going to come and get us. And we have no protection. They're taking out everybody. And oh my God, what are we going to do? And Isaiah says, Dummy. Look back at what he already did when a world power came against you. When Assyria came and surrounded you with their hundreds of thousands in their army. And they were literally like a flood swelled up to the walls of your city. And you're holed up in the city, scared to death, not knowing what to do. And their general stands up and goes, hey, my king is going to take out your king. And what did I do, Israelites? What did I do, king of Judah? I said, who do you think you are? I'm the God of all gods. You're in my land. You're in my mountains. And I'm going to stomp you where you sit. And in one night, 185,000 of their soldiers were found dead the next morning. Who knows how they died? They just died. And then this king, who's all that, a bag of chips, gets up with his tail between his legs and goes running and ultimately dies at the hands of his own kids in his own God's temple. And God says, you're scared about Babylon. Look what we did together with Assyria. Babylon's nothing. I guarantee you I'm going to have that king chewing on grass in a couple of years. Trust me. Do not get all frustrated and worried about the stuff you're facing. Am I not big enough? Can you not depend on me? I've already proven it once. Look. You see, that's one of the things that's so cool about the Hebrew Bible, which is now our Bible, 
is they do this constant retelling over and over again about the things of God. What has God done for them in the past? You can read it all through the Psalms. Why do they do that? Because human beings are like sheep. Give me food. If there's no food, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. There's no food. I'm not going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go by that water because it's moving. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And the shepherd's like, it's okay. Come on. And God has to do that for us every so often. He has to remind us. And it's good to spend time reflecting. And so what I encourage you this week, as we're closing up this time together and finishing this chapter of Isaiah, think about what you're facing today And find some time in the past where God has already proven that this is nothing. He is perfectly capable. And then go back and reflect on this psalm that we read this morning at the beginning of our service. Psalm 139. He knows me even before I'm formed in my mother's womb. As a matter of fact, Everything that's going to happen on every single day of my life has already been recorded in his books even before I take my first breath. None of this is taking him by surprise. None of this is out of his control. None of this doesn't have an ability on his part to meet. And the bottom line, in the same way that he worked with the Israelites in the same way that he worked through Christ's ministry, in the same way that he has worked for the last 2,000 years in all of Christendom, he works the same way in your life. He says to you, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24, I have sworn my plan will come to pass. My purposes will stand. It's how he works. You can trust him. All you have to do when fear and anxiety starts welling up is go back in your journal and read the times that he's actually done powerful and wonderful and glorious things in your life. If you don't have it written in a journal, just go back in the pages of your mind and say, God, bring to my mind the time when I knelt at that altar of prayer and I gave you my heart, help me to recognize that you're there even today as I face this thing that's in my life that I feel has I have no control over, but you have control. And I just need you to help me to just rest in you. And, and if I get scared, help me to remember your power and your purposes and your plans and that you're almighty and that you are God of all gods. There is none like you. Any place. You're the only one. And I thank you, God, that I'm in relationship with you. And I thank you that I can trust you. And I thank you that you've proven yourself over and over and over in my life and throughout all of time. And help me to, get, to just rest and release to you. And to believe you. And to take you at your word. And to trust your plan. Let me transition now into real prayer. Not just instruction. God, you have spoken a word over this congregation. It's been in place for years now. More than a decade. 
You have a purpose and a plan that you are going to raise this congregation up to 150 fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And you have said that you are going to flow a river of your spirit from this church into our community. And it is a river of blessing, a river of holiness, a river of power, straight from your throne. Help us, Father, to hold on to that. You've sworn it. It's signed. It's sealed. It hasn't yet been delivered, but that doesn't mean it's not coming. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name I pray.